0: After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal! Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby! Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please
1: move in. please move and play oh, the I'm not going to that I made a mistake. I think I'm bang on man and okay gentlemen play ball. Watch your hair good checking, guys and good
0: play. it hasn't quite been a month but it feels like the NHL season has been around well for longer than a month it's it feels like we're deeper into the season than we are at least that's the impression I have Josh
1: yeah we've been checking off the games and uh, there's been a lot of hockey, a lot of action, a lot of action on the player safety front, a certain amount of controversy from an officiating standpoint. So back to a full NHL season and it absolutely feels like it. Controversy? Officiating? You jest. That can't be the case. I know you, you wouldn't think, but uh, yeah, nonetheless, here we are. Isn't the rule book all in
0: black and white, and that everything is so clear cut and uh, without any sort of interpretation? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm reading some other rule book, not the NHL rule. Oh no, the, the that, rule
1: book—it it literally is black and white, white pages, black ink. <laughs> but that's about as much that you can get black and white out of the rule book.
0: All right, well, let's dive into some of it on this week's edition of the Scouting the Refs podcast. It is brought to you by Manscaped. As always, we have special savings arranged for you with our Manscaped partnership. Use the code Refs. That's R-E-F-S, on your Manscaped order at manscaped.com. You get 20% off and you get free shipping. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of struggling with the drop in temperatures. This past week, it's gotten colder. It's been kind of ugly at times. And I know that there are some among us that feel as winter is coming closer and colder weather is arriving in areas that they should cut back on the haircutting and grooming etc as a strategy to keep warm this is wrong this is wrong in so many ways first off it doesn't work it will only prevent you from having others getting close and joining you in close quarters as nobody wants to have this wild overgrown messy and unruly hair in the way so please for everyone's benefit Make sure you've got the right package for your package, and that is the ultimate package from Manscaped, the Lawnmower, the Weed Whacker, the Crop Reviver. They all work in harmony to give you great grooming that you need to feel good, to look good, and most importantly, Create a welcoming environment for everyone. It'll
1: take you two minutes. You tidy things up. It's safe and quick. And then everybody gets to enjoy. Right, Josh? Absolutely. You want to wear that sweater when it's it's cool like this. You don't want to look like that sweater even <laughs> when you take it off. And and that applies from top to bottom. So, yes, bundling up and dressing for the elements is appropriate. But when when you're not dressing, when you're relaxed, when you're casual at home, you, you don't want to still necessarily be as bundled up or as sweatery as, as you might otherwise be. Millions worldwide
0: can't be wrong. Go to Manscaped.com. Use the code REFS for your purchase. You get 20% off and you get free delivery. Do it now. Please make sure you're following us on our social channels. For Josh, it's at Scouting the Refs on both Twitter and Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports, again, on Twitter and Instagram. On this week's episode, some get hearings, some don't. When a penalty isn't a penalty, it's not a slew foot, but it's still a punishable offense. Mom always told me to wear a glove. And a little tease about next week's episode. Ooh, I like that. How about that, huh?
1: Man, planning ahead. We're looking far into the future. Well, at least a week into the future.
0: Yeah. So let's focus a little bit on the idea that some put forward now and again about whether or not video review is a good thing and whether or not we should keep video review in the National Hockey League. I take you back to last weekend with the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Detroit Red Wings tangling. Morgan Riley was called on a double minor for high sticking. The Leafs' defenseman was eventually sent to the box. There's a few layers to this one. The Wings actually scored a goal on the delayed penalty call. Now, when the play stops a double minor penalty was assessed. One half of that got wiped out because the goal was scored. However, it still provided the referees an opportunity to look at the video because it was a double minor because of injury. When they looked at the video in the penalty box, it was clear that the high stick injury to the Detroit player was caused by friendly fire. Another Red Wing player did it. Riley was summoned from the penalty box and let to skate on his merry way. No penalty further ensued. But without video review, it would have been a case of a double indemnity because there would have been a goal scored and he still would have had to serve that penalty, even though the goal was scored against him.
1: Yeah, it's it's crazy how it works. I mean, it's great that we've got video review now as an option for certain situations when we've got a major penalty, a match penalty, or a double minor for high sticking. So, In this case, it worked out and it is one of those situations, Todd, where perspective matters. You know, watching it in real time, watching it from one angle, you don't necessarily have that opportunity to realize which stick it was or that it was friendly fire in this case. So I'm glad the review process worked. What makes me crazy about it is that it only worked or that it only was an option because there was an injury on the play. Oh. If that friendly fire didn't cause an injury, then there's no chance to review it. And then there's no chance to overturn the penalty. So if you're skating down the ice and you get called for a high stick that you didn't commit, you, you better hope the guy's teammate really did some damage.
0: <laughs> yes, make sure you really get them good so that we can right. review this properly. <laughs> but that's that's interesting. But it also leads me that... You know, it really doesn't take very long to review these calls, whether it's a double minor or a minor. Shouldn't something like this maybe get the quick review? Maybe it's not necessarily done by the officials on the ice at the penalty box monitor, but we do have the supervisors that watch the game from above. Maybe there's a way to just do a quick check, kind of like the way they do in in the NFL to make sure that a, a touchdown has been
1: scored and the ball crosses the goal line, something like that. I think the challenge comes around bucketing which ones you look at and which ones you don't. And that's why the league kind of dipped their toe into the water with the majors match penalties. Those are Mm. significant penalties. They they impact the game dramatically on how they're assessed. And uh, potential for injury or dangerous plays, typically, when we see those come out. And the same thing goes for those high sticks that cause injury. Where it gets tough is for, uh, you know, a tripping minor. Are we going to look and see if he stepped on the blade of the stick, if the player actually caught him and pulled his skate back with his stick? Or do we expand that to non-calls to say there should have been a trip on this play? I want you to go back and review that one. And I think that's where it starts to get more into the judgment of the official and the interpretation of the play where do we really want to be looking at every single call? And if we look at every single call, then... Do we consider looking at non calls? And I think it changes a lot. I don't know that we want to go there, Todd. But I'd rather see a live, real-time official off ice hitting that button to say, "Oh, that was a penalty," and calling it live than starting to review and replay every potential situation.
0: I see. So less video, more referees. That's what you want.
1: I I think, I think that's <laughs> what be what I I think that's what I'd be more open to. You know, okay. I, I don't I don't know that I'm entirely sold on it, but. If there's a need to have another set of eyes, let's consider doing it in real time and not replay. Okay, that's a, that's,
0: that's a fair compromise. At least let's explore other options as we move forward. Okay, I'm, I'm good with that. Uh, a couple of other game situations that I want to get your thoughts on, Josh, on the outcome of how they both played out. First one was a game between the Colorado Avalanche and the Minnesota Wild. Wild player Brandon Duhame clobbered Avs defenseman Bowen Byram with a hit into the end boards. Duham was given a penalty on the play for cross-checking, a game misconduct eventually, but before the refs could make any call, Avs forward, the Avs forward jumped Duham, and, well, to my eyes, it appeared as though they engaged in a fight. I guess Graham Skilleter and Jake Brent saw it a little bit differently because <laughs> Nathan McKinnon and, and Duham each got two minutes for roughing. Now, as we sort of examine the different areas of this, it was a dirty hit by Duham, and it should, he should be gone from the game. It's a hit from behind where he, he shoved Bowen Byram into the boards, hitting him in the numbers. McKinnon should definitely get 17 minutes because he instigated the fight. Both players had gloves off. Punches were thrown. There was a fight, but they only got two minutes for roughing. There was no further action taken against duhame. I think he could have been suspended for this one. Do you have a, an opinion you'd like to weigh in on?
1: I thought so as well. I was, I was surprised. I thought for sure we'd see a game or two coming up for this one. Just looking like a dangerous play, I, I think, the reason we didn't see the suspension there was it wasn't necessarily through the numbers the whole time. I think he was coming in a bit to the side, and I think it was more of a a shove or a push that made it look worse than it was. So I think player safety was, was erring on the side of the fact that this, this wasn't the same as some of the other boarding suspensions that we've seen recently. So the on-ice call was sufficient didn't rise to the level of necessitating any supplemental discipline. I think that's where player safety landed, and I think that's the reasoning behind it. Obviously, we don't get a video to explain that, but I think what, what they looked at was that it, it wasn't as clear-cut, and you know, sometimes you get players in a tough spot based on their distance to the boards where the outcome looks worse than what the actual hit was, and I think they felt that that was a factor in this case. The fighting part, though, Todd, that you mentioned does have me baffled. <laughs>
0: And, and this is, I guess, this is the, the what's black and white and open to interpretation as well. When we talk about does the hit rise to the level of supplemental discipline, that's interpretation. But when two guys have gloves off and they throw punches, that to me is
1: a fight. Yeah, that, that to the rule book is a fight. <laughs> <laughs> Punching or attempting to punch an opponent repeatedly or even making it difficult for the linesman to intervene. That's all under the fighting rule 46. Now, the officials have a lot of leeway on how they penalize players in this case, but when you've dropped the gloves, when you've thrown a few bombs, even if you're not landing them, it it clearly is a fight. And when it comes to star players, to top-line players, to a guy like Nathan McKinnon, the optics are a little bit different. You know, would you have called it the same way if this was a fourth liner than with Nathan McKinnon? Because obviously... McKinnon was able to be out there for the resulting power play in this situation and had he received the fighting penalties he he wouldn't be. So you don't want to make the call based on the players and who's involved. You don't want to say, well this is a star player so it's going to go down as a rough, but it looked like a fight to me. Even if you weren't going to go instigator, even if you you were going to say okay, you know we understand the reason for it, although by the book he did instigate the fight. He clearly went after and engaged Dehime and and started everything. But it's still a fight no matter how you look at it, right? And I'm pretty sure there was menacing because I love to use <laughs> yes. that phrase because it's in the rule book. <laughs> there was a, a brief bit of menacing before the gloves were dropped. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: OK, next one I want to talk about was the game between the Canadians and the Ducks. Montreal forward Cedric Paquette levels Anaheim forward Trevor Zegres into the end boards from behind. Sonny Milano engaged Paquette afterwards. They got minors as well for roughing. Pocket got a, a major and a misconduct for the hit. It's the right call. He also had a hearing with the Department of Player Safety and received a two-game suspension. This this to me was an easy call. Just watching the video, it's you're nodding your head saying, yes, he's going to get suspended for that, just immediately looking at
1: it. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was to me, was this gonna be is this gonna be one game? Is it gonna be two games? Because that was clearly A different situation than what we saw in the Byram hit in the Avs game of right through the numbers, right to the board, dangerous hit. And we've got Paquette, who's been fined for high sticking. He's been suspended for boarding in the past. So a guy who's got some history there, which is a factor when player safety looks at the hit. So to me, this was a a clear, clear suspension. It was just a matter of how many games. This is the Scouting the Rest podcast. It's brought to you by Manscaped. Special savings are
0: available for you at manscaped.com by using the code REFS. For your order, you'll receive 20% off and you will have free shipping. Also getting a hearing with the Department of Player Safety this past week was New Jersey Devils defenseman P.K. Subban. He's been busy recently. In a game versus the Anaheim Ducks, Subban took down Anaheim defenseman Trevor Zegras. He's been busy this week as well. This was referred to as a dangerous trip. There was no penalty called on the play, and there's a couple of things I want to mention here. There was an official standing nearby, but judging from the video that I saw, he was not in the right position to make the call against Subban because the offense was behind Zegras and it wasn't clearly visible by the official that was standing in front of the two players, and you can't call what you don't see. Once again, social media was aflame with PK Suban Talk as having slew footed an opponent. This is not a slew foot, to paraphrase the Department of Player Safety videos. It's outside the rules, it's a dirty hit, it absolutely should be penalized, and Subban also got a fine of $15,000 for his efforts. But again, the, uh, the pearl-clutching keyboard warriors went crazy. It's like, oh, it's a slew foot, this is like the third time he's done it this year. No, he hasn't. The, the definition of slew foot is very specific, and this does not fit it.
1: Right, and that's where the league has that additional leeway by suspending or fining for a dangerous trip, the NHL Department of Player Safety has historically, and if you go online, we've we've got some resources at ScoutingTheRefs.com, including the league's video rulebook on slew footing. But it's it's been apparent that the way they address it, or the way they interpret the rulebook definition, is that there has to be that upper body movement in a backwards direction. So it's not just kicking out the legs. It's not just taking a player's skates out, but it does require that movement from the upper body to push or or shove a player backward to cause the player to go down to the ice. And historically, as they find or suspended, that's been the case when it's been a slew foot. Now, for hits that don't quite meet that criteria the league has taken to referring to them as dangerous trips so i i think it makes a lot of sense it gives them more room to suspend because remember if you're suspending a player you have to point to the rule that you're suspending them under yeah and if you're saying it's a slew foot and suban says hey i didn't push his upper body backwards well he's got a point so that's why they've expanded it it, it gives them another category in this dangerous trip call to say that We don't think that this is a legal hit. We think it requires supplemental discipline, but we can't classify it as a slew foot because it doesn't meet our criteria for what defines a slew foot. And I I think it's the right move. I think it's something that P.K. Subban has obviously mastered and will continue to do (laughs) because he's showing no signs of stopping. No. And the fines
0: keep going up as well. And we should mention that this was a fifteen thousand dollar fine and was deemed to be the maximum permitted under the the CBA normally we hear that for $5000 fines why was suban fined 3 times that amount in this instance
1: yeah it's it's interesting we had quite a few social media reactions on saying how come every time we see a fine it's the maximum permitted <laughs> but this one's more how is that even possible if it's the maximum and it it's because the player safety releases don't necessarily include all of the specifics. There's there's some additional context that they leave out. That $5,000 fine that we see, which is a maximum of $5,000 or 50% of a player's daily salary, that happens when the league does not conduct a hearing. So they don't need to meet with the player. They don't need to do anything other than hit him with that fine, but it's capped at $5,000. If they do have a hearing, they can up it to $10,000. And in situations like this, if it's a repeat occurrence in the prior 12 months, then it can jump to $15,000. Of course that does require a hearing. So by calling Suvan on the phone to talk about it, it's it's actually a formal hearing process. But to have that discussion <laughs> take place, they were able to get to $15,000, which is the maximum of maximums. There's nowhere to go here but a game suspension.
0: I know that as a society in general that on social media we often lean towards the negative, but I think it should look the other way in this one. Look, they're getting Subban for the offense. By definition, it's not a slew foot, but he is kind of skirting the rules. So they are getting him for it. And the fines have gone up substantially. So it's go ahead and try, but we are going to catch you on this. I think they they should get the, the pat on the back for this as opposed to
1: the, oh, you didn't call a slew foot. Well, you're right. But look at what we did do. Right. We didn't because this wasn't, but it was a dangerous play and we've addressed it accordingly. So I, I think it's the right move. I think it's, a bit surprising when you look and and think that we don't see this that often, but it's nice to have that escalation. It's the same type of thing we see with diving or embellishment, you know, where they have that scale where repeat occurrences and the fine goes up, uh, you know, 2000 to 4,000 and it jumps. We don't see that for other incidents, but we do see it for embellishment. So interesting to see player safety escalate the fines for this one. And, uh, hopefully Subban will, will learn from this or, uh, Or not. (laughs) Or maybe he won't, and he'll write a bigger check. If you didn't see the
0: spectacular display of saves this past week by Vancouver Canucks goaltender Thatcher Demko, then check out the story in the link on the Scouting the Rest uh, website. It's amazing. And the strangest part is Demko works for an extended period of time without a blocker glove. The netminder lost his stick and glove on the play. It was a bit of a yard sale as there was a collision, but he kept going and he kept playing and making some tremendous saves. As we've seen, though, previously, if a goaltender loses his mask, the official blows the whistle immediately. But if it's another part of his equipment paraphernalia, then he doesn't. If you recall, maybe the most notable example was Tuka Rask when he lost the skate blade and had a bit of a freakout afterwards because there was no whistle because of the equipment malfunction. Just because a goalie loses a piece of his equipment doesn't
1: mean the whistle blows immediately. Right, and I think some... Fans and I think some goaltenders forget that from time to time because <laughs> goalies you, always do. Yeah, and it, you know it's a valid safety concern, right? You lose your glove, your hands unprotected, or your skate blade. You're unable to move and, and get yourself into a position where you're feeling protected. And I even recall a situation where a goaltender broke the straps on his leg pad and it wouldn't go into position, so he had to keep his leg uh, in a in an, a straight position and c- couldn't drop down to stop the puck. And in all cases. The goaltenders are freaking out because they want a whistle. It's only when a goaltender loses his mask that that they can get the whistle. And even then, only when there's not an immediate scoring chance. It it could be that the opposing team has the puck. They're coming down on a rush. The goalie loses his mask and the official waits for that shot. And yeah, that's a scary moment and a dangerous moment, but something where that's what the rule book specifies under 9.6 and it doesn't specify anything for any other pieces of equipment. So if you're a goaltender and you're losing gear, whether it's your stick, your glove, your skate... You've got to play on and hope your team can recover the puck and either send it down ice or, or get that whistle. But amazing focus by Demko there to uh, wave the ref yeah. at one point. He's got his bare hand waving off to the side to try to say, hey, I lost my glove. And the ref's like, yeah, good for you, buddy. Keep playing.
0: I see you. Yep, that's right. By the way, shot's coming. Right.
1: <laughs> so an, an interesting moment. But yet for all those criticizing the officials for you know putting Demko at risk or, or making it an unsafe play, this is by the book and it, it's as it's written now. And I think while player safety as a concept is paramount in writing the NHL rulebook, it is one of those areas where well, if we if we blow the whistle every time a goaltender loses a glove or a piece of equipment, it's pretty easy for a goalie to lose a glove. I mean, it's it's easy to, for Braden Holtby to toss his face mask off. He perfected that, made an art mm-hmm. out of it. And it would be easy for a guy to lose a glove to get a whistle. And I know that's something that we don't want to see. It's the same idea as doing embellishment and diving penalties. We don't want to see goalies tossing gear off. And I think if if they were more aggressive in blowing the whistle for lost gear, unfortunately, we'd, we'd start to fall into that soccer realm of uh, just stopping play for things like that. And I don't think the league wants to go there. So thankfully, these situations are rare. But, uh, but yeah, scary moment for Demco. One that was uh, an incredible display of goaltending.
0: Sure was okay. One more bit from this past week: Tampa Bay taking on Toronto. First period. Mitch Marner is cutting toward the goal with the puck on his stick after a turnover. He is hooked by defenseman Victor Hedman. It was it was the textbook definition of water skiing because he was really riding along for a, a stretch. The officials' arm goes up to call a penalty as he's still somewhat entangled with Hedman. The other Tampa defenseman, Mikhail Sergachev, comes across the ice, leans into Marner with a hard check. He was also penalized on the play for a check to the head, just a minor penalty. Marner was okay, in fact, was on the ice for the subsequent power play. You don't often see two penalties called on the same play, but the right calls were made here. It was definitely a hook, and it was definitely head contact with the check by Sergachev, and it's also earned him a hearing with the Department of Player Safety. It's not the worst check to the head we've ever seen, of course, but I'm glad that the league is focused on it. And I think he's going to get a game for it.
1: I think he will. I I think he should. I I looked at it from the initial angle and thought it was shoulder to shoulder as the main point of contact with some head contact on the play. And, And remember, just because there's contact with the head doesn't necessarily mean it's illegal, doesn't necessarily mean it's a suspendable offense the Department of Player Safety is looking for that head as the main point of contact. And I think the water skiing contributed as well because you look at him lining up for the shoulder and as Marner slows down a little bit, I think that disrupted the flow of the check of what Sergeyev was lining up. So my initial thought was this isn't suspendable. I saw a reverse angle of it from the front. Eh, maybe it looks like there was a little more head contact up there. So that that makes me think it should be a game. But I think this was one of those situations where everything combined to make that work. Sergachev may have been going for a legal hit, but the hooking from behind slowed down Marner, which shifted his position. And you know, I can't entirely blame Sergachev for what would have been a legal hit if the target of his check wasn't being slowed down. But I did want to say, Todd, to your point, kudos to the NHL officials for calling both those penalties. Too often, we see multiple infractions or, or another penalty on a delayed penalty call. And it's almost like a get out of jail free card, right? You get the mm-hmm. initial infraction and everything else. We're, we're just going to let it slide. But clearly two penalties earned on this play and, and two penalties called, which was absolutely correct uh, and probably a suspension to go with it.
0: Yeah, well, we'll see. Which Whatever happens with Sergeyev, we know that at least a portion of the public will be outraged at the decision.
1: <laughs> Aren't they always? <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? They, they have to watch out because I, I just noticed we have to do some updates to the Scouting the Refs website. Uh, YouTube has apparently age-restricted some of the suspension-worthy hit videos <laughs> that we've been sharing. So wow. I, I fear that, uh, that YouTube is cracking down. And if, if player safety doesn't crack down on these hits, <laughs> and YouTube is— <laughs> <laughs> Setting quite a precedent there.
0: Wow. Just before we go, I want to do a little preview of next week's show. Josh gets all the credit for doing all the work to convince the first female referee in the American Hockey League to join us for a bit of a chat about officiating. Katie Gay made her debut in the American Hockey League a couple of weeks ago. She's going to join us for a conversation on next week's show. What a great accomplishment for her and nine other female officials joining the American Hockey League this season. Way to go, Josh, for getting her and way to go, Katie, for your accomplishment.
1: The Scouting the Rest podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code REFS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code REFS. That's R-E-F-S. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.